Well, today we are in chapter 3 of First um, uh, John. Chapter 3 of First John. Again, allow me to remind you of the main theme of this book, which John himself says. He says in chapter 5 and verse 13 that I have written these things to you that you who believe in the name of God's Son that you might know that you have eternal life. And we said that that was because of the unsettling effect that took place in the early church by heretical teachers who were claiming to be the ones who had that kind of privilege and everybody else didn't have. And uh, we mentioned the fact that it was primarily the Gnostic heresy that was doing its round and consequently John was responding to them and doing it in such a way that those who believed in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would in fact be assured that they are the ones who had eternal life, the others did not. We went through the first chapter and then spent quite a bit of time in the second chapter yesterday and I mentioned that I would have loved that first part of that second chapter to have been left in the first because of that continuation of if this is true then this must of necessity be true. But then beyond that we went on to ask the question, fine, in the light of this, how do I know that I am truly a Christian? And basically what we said was, deal with this matter at heart level. Don't deal with it at outward things like you know how long your hair is or how long your dress is and things to that effect deal with it at heart level and we notice issues like walking as thank you walking as uh, Jesus did we saw the whole issue of living a life of love which we'll come back to in chapter 3 we saw issues of the journey in grace, what has been happening there again within your inner being, the reality of um, being born again and living out uh, that aspect. And then there were two major warnings that were there. One was the warning of worldliness and the other was being warned against false teachers. And um, the warning about false teachers was, was really in a sense encouraging because what we're being told is those that are running away from the context of truth to follow um, so damning heresies are individuals who in the first place had never really known the grace of our God. And that what's keeping you is not something that's special about you from birth, but something that is special about you from the new birth. 
it is the anointing of God upon your life which is really the Holy Spirit's indwelling in you who is making that wonderful difference well again I sort of differed a little bit with those that have uh, split first John by saying I would have really loved that chapter 3 began with verse 28 of chapter 2 and at least in my Bible um, the ESV whoever was working on the different um, whoever was working on the, the different subheadings seems to have been convinced also and so they put children of God not at the beginning of chapter 3 but at the beginning of verse 28 so there I don't feel too much of a heretic compared to yesterday okay and um, if I was to summarize what is captured in, in chapter 3 it's, it's really the way I am heading my sermon and it is, I'm calling it Obey the Two Greatest Commandments Obey the Two Greatest Commandments Christianity is primarily remedial if, if the fall had not taken place in Genesis chapter 3 would have never needed all those sacrifices including the sacrifice of Jesus it would have been a perfect world and would have all simply continued after um, Adam and Eve to live perfect lives it was because of the disaster of Genesis 3 that the necessity of redemption came into place what happened in Genesis chapter 3 is big, but one of the things was that of uh, a disturbance, a complete disturbance of the two most important relationships. One is the vertical one with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And two is the horizontal one, and that is with one another. And you can't miss it when you read Genesis 3 itself because when God came in the cool of the evening what did Adam and Eve do? They ran away, isn't it? They took cover and you know I love the way Genesis 3 speaks about the cool of the evening because it reminds me of young people who are in courtship, isn't it? They meet in the cool of the evening. Eh? <laughs> in the cool of the evening. But then you know something is wrong when the person in courtship with friends away from you. You know something has happened. Because that's the romantic atmosphere and the person has run away there definitely was the loss of love for the living God but you can't also miss the way in which in Genesis 3 itself when God said to Adam where are you and Adam's response was very quick to put all the blame on Eve eh? 
it is this woman she is the cause of all my problems sounds like a lot of husbands in my church she's the cause of all my problems deal with her ever since you dumped her here my life has never been the same and then of course by the time we reach chapter four the first two brothers, one murders another. And we'll come to that in a moment in the story. So what Christianity basically does is to reverse that. To take us back to the point where our greatest love is to love God with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. And then to love our neighbor the way we love ourselves. Now we, we never reach that perfection in this life. But as I spoke about the peeling of the onion, if we get to the you that makes you, you, if you are truly born again, those two aspects will be there. A genuine love for God and a genuine love for others and especially brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, that is what is captured in this, and I just want us to quickly go through it. Um, in the way John introduces it is by taking us right to the end of life, and we are now standing before Almighty God, and he's saying, at that point, the greatest thing is not to be ashamed. In other words, not to end up on the wrong side of God. Let's we can see that in verse 28 and 29, and then we will go into this love portion. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And that's the point. It is this new birth that changes everything and that ensures, therefore, that you are not ashamed on that day and we who have labored in your life will not be ashamed on that day as well. It is the fruit of the new birth. And so really that's what we are dealing with here. And it is what produces that love. And I want us to notice in quickly three things. First of all, it is that the love we are speaking about must be motivated or given birth to by love itself. In other words, we are actually responding to God's love as we are loving him back. And look at the way he puts it here in the first three verses. Listen to this. See, or as some older versions say, behold what manner of love. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Okay, don't miss that. The kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And he's saying here, look, it's not just a calling. That is what we are. 
The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him, in other words, who hopes in him in this way, purifies himself as he is pure. One of the most miserable things about religion outside Christ is that it is a religion of works. It's trying and trying and trying and hoping that perhaps you may have tried enough that on the judgment day, God says, well, you just managed to cross the line. Come in, come in, come in. That's a miserable way to live. The joy of true Christianity is knowing that I am a child of God. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Jesus Christ has paid my debt completely. I've been adopted into God's family. I'm a child of God. When I die, I'm simply going home. That's it. What a difference it is. And it causes one to be overwhelmed emotionally every so often at that thought. And that's what this passage is about here. He's saying, think about it. Think for a moment. What kind of love is this? That a rainbow such as you and you know your rebellion in life should be brought into the home of the king of kings and given all the rights of a prince in that palace. All the rights. Now, obviously, if you say that to unbelievers, they go, huh? Obviously, just cheating yourself. And the Bible here is saying, don't be surprised about that, because even when the very Son of God was on earth, the world didn't recognize him. But they didn't know that. They rushed him to the cross, got rid of him. Why? He's claiming to be the Son of God. Now, if they missed him, they will miss you too. But that should not cause you to also doubt who you are. You are a child of God now. When the angels of God are looking, he or them looking under this roof, looking at you, they are seeing those of you who are under their instructions. Look after that one. That's my child. What love. What love. 
And what that should do to you is to say, wow, if he has loved me this way, I want to love him back, isn't it? That's the way life is. I've raised six, when I say children, it's a little sort of demeaning because they're adults now, but I hope you understand. I've raised six children in my home, and one of the marvels that I, I see is the way in which they will do anything for me. They, they, they really love me, and I see it, I know it, I experience it. And when I need anything and I ask it of them, there's no hesitation, absolutely no hesitation. And it's, it's not because you know, it's dark, oh, if you don't do it, you get bad signals from him. No, it's just genuine love. And one reason why I understand it is my mom died when I was nine years old and I was brought up by uh, foster parents in the same way I brought up others. And I always felt this sense of indebtedness to the man and woman that poured so much into my life and brought me up. I felt it. I've never forgotten the day my uh, foster mom came and put a paper in front of me and said she had been renting a government house and the house had now been sold. She gave it to me and simply said, son, you know what to do. <laughs> and she went away. Yeah, I got all the others to say, guys, here is a house we must buy. How much are you contributing? How much are you contributing? And so on. And we contributed and made that payment. <laughs> Not because of compulsion, but out of love. And that's what this passage is telling us. We, he who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. I want to obey him. I want to be like him. I want to. Another obvious way of applying this is uh, when you've been brought up in a home where your father or mother is a good role model. A good role model. Have you noticed how you say often to yourself, when I grow up, I want to be like you. Eh? When I grow up, I want to be like you. Well, precisely the same. Again, the love that has been shown to you, you are saying to yourself, that's the way I want to live. That's the way I want to live. And this is now the outcome that we see in the rest of this chapter. The first is that of loving God. Now, the way in which you express love in a vertical relationship is by obedience. That's the way you do it. In, in marriage, you know that wives are told to do what? Aha! Now it's not slavish submission. It is love responding to a husband's love. In the same way, children are told to do what to their parents? 
It's the way in which you express love to him who is your authority figure in the home. Alright, so we can go on speaking about this. But this is what we find therefore here in uh, verse 4 down to verse 10. John is, is primarily saying that the distinctive mark of those who are truly the children of God is that of ethical holiness. Seeking a life that obeys God. A life that hates sin. It's my sin that rushed my Savior to the cross. I cannot indulge in it. I hate it. And look at the way John goes to town, so to speak, to argue against anybody thinking they can be Christians and love sin at the same time. And how does he do it? First of all, he argues for the fact that, in fact, the very nature of sin is that it is rebellion. That's what it is. It is to say to God, God and your love to hell. I have nothing to do with it. I'm going to live as I please. I will be a law to my own self. Look at uh, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now you remember I said to you earlier that what redemption has come to do, what Christ came to do, what Christianity is all about, is to fix that. So that that which became the norm in the Garden of Eden can become the abnormal in God's kingdom. And therefore, sin is the opposite of what Jesus Christ came to do on earth. It's the opposite. He puts it this way in uh, uh, verse 5 and 6, very quickly there. He says, you know that he appeared, that is Jesus, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one, therefore, who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. It's contrary. <coughs> You cannot be claiming that Jesus Christ has saved you from hell if he hasn't saved you from sin. Because he actually saves us from the sin that takes us to hell. Now obviously he's not saying that we never ever sin. Remember we dealt with the heart issue. The heart issue. Because if he said you never ever sin, then it would contradict chapter 1 where he tells us that if we confess our sin, if we say we've not sinned, we are making him out to be a liar, and so on. But the point he's making there is at the heart. In other words, where is the trajectory of your life? Are you like a, a kitten or a cat? You know a cat, even when you think it's 
because it often looks clean. You find wherever it is sitting, it's cleaning itself, isn't it? It's cleaning itself. All the time. You think it's clean, but it's cleaning itself. That's the Christian. While you are admiring the person, if you go to eavesdrop in his closet, he's confessing his sins to God. You're saying, wow, wow. So this guy actually sins. <laughs> but an increase is like a pig. Sorry if you're an here. But the point I'm making is this. Nothing to do with ugliness. Try cleaning a pig. As soon as it sees muddy water finish. <laughs> it's, it's making itself dirty again. That's the name. So figure it out. Am I like a cat? Or am I like a pig? Okay, yeah, yeah. I was trying to avoid saying it. <laughs> but he argues further. He says. Jesus Christ came to destroy the work of the devil. He came to put what our brother called TNT. In Africa, we normally call it dynamite. He came to put dynamite under that thing. What the devil is doing. To bring the entire structure down. Now, if it's still upright, in its selected form, this kingdom of darkness and kingdom of sin in your life, then surely he hasn't saved you. Again, look at the following two verses there, verse 7 to verse 8. He says there, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. So you cannot be claiming to be a Christian. If the full-fledged life of sin and evil and wickedness is true of you. No. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. Whether you've been baptized. Whether you've memorized half the Bible. The question is, what is your life showing? What is it showing? And then his final argument there is this, that the new birth, remember, we're talking about being born of him at the very end of uh, chapter 2. We had the words, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And he's saying, the new birth rules a person living in sin. Because it's a moral transformation from inside out. It is a fixing of you in the heart. 
It is a taking away from you that stony, stubborn heart in a heart transplant and giving you a new heart, a new heart, a new heart, a heart that loves God and loves righteousness. Verse 9 and verse 10. No one born of God, notice the born of God, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who the children who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. There it is. Do you want to know if you are a Christian? Simple. Do you love God? Do you? And is that love showing itself in a life of obedience? to God. And is it inspired not by fear of judgment but by oh, what kind of love the Father has lavished, lavished, poured out of me. I must love him back. So that's the first. A second aspect is loving others. And John has already introduced it in this text, hasn't he? When he said, Nor is the one who does not love his brother. He brings in the aspect of love. That love is yet another test of our salvation that we have now entered into the family of God, we now care for one another. That's something that's so interesting about the human family. It's amazing. Except that sin does make us fight. There's a phrase we use, we, we call it sibling wars. Mm? Brothers and sisters fighting over all kinds of things, toys and food and so on. But even after fighting, you see the way in which they defend each other when the chips are down. I went to boarding school when I was growing up, after my mom and dad, as I said, went to live at, uh, with my immediate older sister. And when I went to boarding school, I don't know about Uganda, but in, in Zambia, um, those who are the first ones to come there, uh, rather the very last ones, they get mocked, they get bullied. So much is done to the earth, you go and worship my clothes, and kind of thing. But for me, two years ahead was one of my cousins at the home where I, I was uh, living. And it did not matter the fact that at home I told on him. 
You understand that phrase, eh? Where you go to tell the parents, this is what the guy did. And he gets into trouble. It didn't matter. At boarding school, if anybody tried to bully me, <laughs> I just went to tell him. And I deliberately became very emotional when I reached him. <laughs> what is it? What is it? It's John! <laughs> John went into hiding. He did. For quite a few days actually. <laughs> There's just something about family that God has done in making us who we are. And that's the reason why what Cain did to Abel soon after Genesis 3 tells us what sin has done to us. And so when you're speaking about love here, one of the major tests of this love is brotherly love. In other words, within the context of the church. And John puts it here. He says in verse 11, For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It reminds us of what he said earlier in chapter 2, isn't it? He had spoken about this, this message from the beginning. And it's a message of love. We've already spoken about Cain, and this is where he comes to. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. And what did he do? He murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. That's where it all came from. And then he says there, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. That you can understand. Not your brother in the Lord hating you for an upright and godly life that you are living. That you should not understand. And yet, that often happens. Because the Christian church is not a pure church. The wheat grows with the weeds. And therefore, there will be people in the church who hate you. Why? Because of your godliness. Yes. Because of your godliness. That's the very reason why they hate you. That's the very reason why they want nothing to do with you. And you are shocked. I mean, you can understand if you are being hated for a, a, a wicked life, but not for a life of genuine love for God, His Word, His work, His kingdom. But that's because the world is also in the church. All I'm saying to you is that you should not be those that hate the righteous because it simply shows that you are not saved. John goes on to say that this is the undeniable proof 
that you have moved from death to life. Because that's what happens at the new birth. God, by His Spirit, infuses life into you. Look at the way He puts it here in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. It goes on to make the point there, everyone, everyone, don't try and put an exception there, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Wow. Wow. John is not holding back any punches there. He's saying, judge yourself. Because if you don't judge yourself now, you will not seek salvation now. And by the time you will be seeking it, it will be too late. Remember how Jesus spoke about the final judgment. He spoke about individuals that will be, everybody will be raised from the dead, and then some will move to the right, others will move to the left. And those who are to the right, he says to them, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, I was naked, you clothed me, I was sick, you visited me, and so on and so forth. And they were shocked. Say, when did we do this to you? And he said, when you did it, to the list of my brothers, you did it to me. In other words, this was your life. It was a life of love to the brethren. Then he turns to those on his left and says, get away from me. You workers of iniquity. When I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. When I was a stranger, you did not look after me. When I was sick or in prison, you didn't visit me. And they were shocked. He said, Jesus, when? Surely, if we had seen you in any condition, we would have sold the last shape on our backs to get you out of trouble. And he says, well, when you were not doing it for the least of my brothers, you actually not doing it for me. That was abundant evidence that you were not a child of God. And these are sent to eternal punishment. And some people think, isn't that teaching salvation by works? No, it is teaching that salvation produces fruit, godly fruit. It fixes our hearts. It makes us lovers of others. We are enabled by the help of the Holy Spirit to obey the greatest and the second greatest commandments. Well, let's hurry on because what we are now being told here is that true love is first of all modeled in Christ and then the hatred being spoken about here 
is typical of fallen creatures. Let's only read this and uh, I must wrap up. Verse 16. By this we know love, that he, referring to Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So, Jesus is a great model, and we see it genuinely lived out in true believers. They see a need, they don't simply say, God bless you. I'll pray for you. And they don't even pray. They are genuinely moved with sympathy to help genuine needs that are staring them in the face. But listen to this. Verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. That's, that's, that's the way we know. And listen to this. For whenever our hearts condemn us, and that's true of any Christian, every so often you doubt. God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, this is now the fruit. It brings us back into the vertical relationship. We have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. There it is again. We love Him and do what pleases Him. And what is this commandment? This is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and there it is again and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. In other words, all this that we're talking about, obeying him, loving the brethren, obeying him that us, loving God, and loving the brethren, it's not self-righteousness. It's not me making this strenuous effort against myself. It's the Holy Spirit who came to take residence. And that's what gives me confidence, even when I go before God to talk to Him, to pray. It is, Lord, it must be You who has done this in my life. This is not me. I know myself too well. So the work which You began, bring to completion, Lord. Continue to work in my life. So there we are. John is bringing this new birth 
and saying that it, it, it causes us to marvel at the love of God and then we respond in love. Loving obedience to him will respond in love to his children. Yes, some of that also pours out into the non-Christian world in terms of loving them to Christ, but it certainly is true within the context of my brothers and sisters. Are you a Christian today? Are you? Well, use this test. Use this test. Because what you find about religious people who are not Christians, true Christians, it is this. They try to be morally upright. And some of them put us to shame about it. But it is out of lack of love. They're miserable. And often they, they are doing good works and they hate the fact that they are doing those good works. Back in Zambia, one of the big things about belonging to a church is that your, your funeral will be taken care of very well. <laughs> Not just in taking your body through the church building, but you know, church members come and, and they do all the cooking for all the mourners and they provide for them and so on and so forth. And um, I've never forgotten one day uh, I was at a home where there was a funeral. And uh, you know, the, the particular church, they wear uniforms. Uh, they have white tops, red uh, shirts, and black trousers or skirts. And I'm told it, it talks about how you know the uh, our sins were black. The blood of Jesus Christ came in, and then we are now whiter than snow. <laughs> well, they were cooking at the back. And I happen to have been um, in the building, this eavesdropping to the conversation. And yeah, they were complaining. They were saying, man, this funeral is too much. It's just too much. You know, there was a funeral last week, and we had to go there, and another funeral the other week, and so on. If anybody dies this coming week, <laughs> <laughs> That's not love. Eh? <laughs> Why they even threatening you not to die? That's not love. But you see, you can have that kind of Christianity, which is outwardly somehow appearing okay, but in the heart, it's missing. Totally missing. To have a combination of ethical uprightness and at the same time loving joy only the Holy Spirit can produce in you. Instead of trying to do it in your own strength, go to Christ and say to him, the picture that has been presented today, that's not me. Lord Jesus, save me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, again we thank you. 
that we can be assured even in this life that we are your children and that can give us confidence in your presence as we approach you in prayer Lord in this vast congregation no doubt there would be those that have a form of religion but completely lack in that seed that has been planted in those who are truly your children the seed that abides in us the spirit of God who changes our lives and we pray that confronted with the reality of your word that they might seek you and find you through Christ we pray Amen Thank you Are you the one?